0: a side b side what side are you on do 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 hello adam
1: do 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 hello brooke
0: <laughs> i'm trying to like mix it up on you each week
1: no i like i feel like that was like a not bad opening for like a 70s sitcom do 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 hello adam do 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 hello brooke <laughs> Do, 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 do. They have unresolved feelings. They can't understand what they're doing with their lives. <laughs> it's basically three's company. It is. It's just we just had a, a random white woman involved.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> I'm just um, saying. So what have I done since I've talked to you last? Oh, okay. So I told you last week I saw Jagged Little Pill, but I saw it a second time. Um, What? Yeah, I went back on Friday night and it was just as good. I wasn't, you know, it's just you being a lover of theater. Um, You know, sitting in a different seat, different angle.
2: Uh,
0: It gives you different viewpoints and things like that. And plus there was a character that was the dad um, of the family. It was played by a different actor. So, of course, you've got a different yeah. voice now and a different interpretation.
1: And also, like, the second time you see anything, it's different. Like, you see different stuff every time.
0: Yeah, well, and it's really funny because... So, I saw the show last Tuesday, and then last Wednesday, we had one of the ca- the cast members come in and um, on the show and do an interview. And then on Friday, when I saw it, I noticed not only is he one of the main supporting characters he's also part of the ensemble the entire time on stage yeah i would not have noticed that or paid any attention to that previously because he's so good in the background with the ensemble but then he's also amazing like he he just fits right in in the background so you, you just he's just part of the ensemble but then when he is one of the you know main supporting characters you're like oh he's so good
1: like I have seen the recorded version of Hamilton so many times that it blows me away that like some of the like the smaller characters are also the like extras in other scenes mm-hmm. whether it, whether it's Samuel Seabury or uh, especially the guy who plays uh the lady's wife who then blackmails Hamilton. Mm-hmm. like he shows up super early, but you mm-hmm. don't realize it unless you've seen it a bunch of times. Right. Like he's just there like dancing around with the book. And he dances around the book later. And they are like, Oh, Shiza, this is the thing that happened early.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed seeing it the second time. Um, it's a very good production. Speaking of Hamilton though, Hamilton will be here at the lead center uh this fall so if you feel like a road trip you should come on
1: and one of the coolest things that the Hamilton organization does and they were doing it here within the Twin Cities because they've been here for like six weeks and every week if you go if you download their app then you can register for a lottery for each show. All you have to do is like click a button register for the lottery. And if you win the lottery you get tickets for 10 bucks. wow and like the face value of these tickets is like 250 300 yeah so if if you just download the app as soon as it comes available you can like scroll over like Lincoln, register 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 it takes five minutes and you can Mm -hmm. save yourself like 300 bucks and get to go to a show that is amazing.
0: i think that's pretty cool i think not pretty cool that's very cool yeah. Very and cool. you
1: should. And you're definitely gonna. Well, actually, I don't know. This is this is where it comes into the like marketing versus guerrilla marketing thing. Like, I think that the signing up for the tickets is guerrilla marketing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you are as a journalist, broad term, media person, mm-hmm. uh, are allowed to mention that
0: oh maybe not
1: yeah so like I, I feel like that's a sticky wicket right there like they want people to buy tickets and if tickets are sold out then yeah do the lottery but they're also probably not going with their media partners to yeah give people the uh because i know like here in twin cities we were sold out like six seven months in advance and i'm assuming the same as in, like because it, it's hard, it's hard to see Hamilton in person. Period. Yeah, so it was going to be expensive.
0: Well, the really cool thing here is that my big boss um, has done something where she has organized a company night, so mm-hmm. we all get tickets, which I think is pretty awesome.
1: And so, is it is it happening at the lead center? Yes. Don't I know someone else who's involved in some sort of advisory board at the lead center?
0: I have heard a rumor that you do know someone that is involved in the advisory board at the lead center. I'm, um, I mean,
1: I know a lot of people. Like, I
0: think you may do a weekly podcast with her.
1: Oh, fair. Well, I do a lot of weekly podcasts. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> the only reason this one is weekly is because I'm scared of, disappointing brooke so
0: (laughs) you know what you've been really good lately because there was a couple of times where i thought i'm gonna have to kick your butt because you keep trying to put it off but you've been really good lately i have to give you that
1: Uh i that's that's why it's a good partnership because like i remember when i was running late when we were doing morning i would have to get you coffee Uh Mm uh-huh because even though i was going to be late either way if I showed up with coffee.
0: I was less angry.
1: You didn't yell at me right away.
0: <laughs> I waited till after the show and not during. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, but seriously, you should think about a road trip. Um, if you want to see Hamilton here at the league.
1: I, I, I want to see Hamilton, but I also like my number one goal for this fall and like, like there are so many things that can happen like life can happen stuff but i would love like i want to come tailgate with you at a husker game oh yes absolutely because i have dreamed of going to a husker game since i was like negative one because i was born in nebraska so i immediately am a husker fan and Like Tommy Frazier and like the mid 90s, like I was in the backyard, like throwing the ball in the air, then running under it and catching it, pretending I was Tommy Frazier both times. I Mm. still understand why, yeah, like he was born too early. (laughs) If Tommy Frazier played today's NFL, he would be good. Mm. But they they were like, oh, you just got to be like six foot four and like throw it five yards, it's fine. I was like, whatever. Like the dude can can run, he was just man out of time. Yeah.
0: Well, you let me know like what week, and I will talk to the company that I work for and uh, see if I can get some tickets.
1: Well, you, even if it's just like like you do the the whole like uh, hanging out at the parking lot at the like pregame stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, even if it's just that, like whatever.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I'll, we we could do that and then go to the game.
1: Well, yeah, I can make friends. I'll I'll, I'll find It's fine.
0: <laughs> and drink a red beer that's the thing here have you had one of those
1: a red beer
0: yeah it's like tomato oh, we got- and, and beer oh that that's not great i don't do tomatoes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't i i it's it's a thing it's it's a thing
1: so this is just a a bloody mary but all mixed together
0: I I guess so. So here I just looked it up and it said it literally says red beer is well known in Nebraska, but its origins are unclear. Yeah, <laughs> it says no one wants to claim morning, it. The Midwest morning beverage.
2: <laughs> no. Uh
1: up in up in Wisconsin and Minnesota, the morning beverage is maybe a a Bloody Mary or a Michelob with olives. The Minnesota Wisconsin Marquee. Wow. It's horrible. Ugh. Ugh. I do feel confident that if we just like randomly showed up at the game, I could find somebody I know of, or somebody my parents know and get us in.
2: Okay.
0: Well, let's do it. Let's plan on it.
1: I would like to do that.
0: All right. We'll plan on that. Um, have you seen anything good this week? I'm trying to think if I've seen anything good. Um, uh... Uh, Mom's been watching Ted Lasso, by the way, and loving it. What, what what season is she on right now? Season two now.
1: Season two, okay. Is she is is she is mad at what's his name? as possible
0: beard? I mean, not beard. Um, Jamie? no, Roy. No, no,
1: no. The 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 guy that. Like I don't know how far she is in season two, uh, but the guy who started out is the the laundry dude.
2: Oh
0: no, I don't think she's that far yet. No. Mm. Okay.
1: Mm. Yeah. Because that was hard. Because I like that guy. Then he turned real bad. Mm. And we've we've all had that friend who like was going through some stuff, was kind of finding themselves, and they met somebody that like just highlighted all the bad things about them. Yeah. And then they became the worst.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think she's that far yet. I know she was watching some more today, and I was like, "Oh yeah, a new episode came out today." So, you know, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it later after you know we." Um, well, yeah, but word. that's
1: season three, though. Season two.
0: Yeah, because I think she's been just like straight binging it.
1: Yeah. That's it's it's gonna be. She's gonna get mad
0: probably not probably absolutely
1: yeah no no absolutely and yes. righteously Matt. and that is that is why it's been like it's been hard for me to start season three because i am so conflicted pissed off just you can say it. just pissed off yeah i'm pissed off well, i'm always pissed off <laughs> but but like this may has me be conflicted because i really wanted to like the guy and but to be fair, like, there's a very Shakespearean arc to that character. Yeah. This guy who is nothing that becomes part of the, the group and then realizes that he feels like he's not getting enough respect Then he actually becomes the bad guy. It's like, wow. she's just like a whole Shakespearean arc right there. In two series that, you know, Succession has been trying to pretend for, like, five. Yeah, they can they can figure out Shakespeare. It's
0: very, it's very. He, yeah. I don't want to give spoilers because I know people are still watching and still catching up. But yeah, um, the writing on that show is stellar. It is some top notch writing. It's it's
1: Succession or Ted
0: Lasso. Ted Lasso. Sorry, I haven't watched
1: Succession. Yeah, no, don't. It's Succession is literally. And people will get angry at me for this, but whatever. It is the Emperor's New Clothes. At this point, everyone has been told they have to like it. So everyone likes it. But no one can say why they like it because they don't actually know why they like it. Oh, okay. That is my opinion. There's okay. it's it's not that inventive. Like literally, we're at this point where like the plot lines are basically like suit season two. Oh. Okay. All right. But everyone's like, this is the best show ever. We're like, but we've all said it's the best show ever. But no one can say why. Right. So is the emperor just not wearing pants and we don't want to see it? Which huh. is a legit reason. Like we don't want to look at the emperor without pants. <laughs> <laughs> just really awkward for everyone. <laughs>
2: Oh man. Because
1: then are you ready the clothes? Are you ready the pants? The, what's behind the pants? Like, that's just
2: it's a slippery
1: <laughs> slope.
0: Oh my goodness. All right. So, this is episode 134. i sorry. Before I cut you off, my bad. What did you watch this week?
1: Uh, I did not watch a lot. I watched like reruns of stuff that I've already seen. Uh, my kids had. A bunch of stuff so so it is the spring and i have a sophomore and a senior which means that like three out of every five nights there's something going on whether Mm -hmm. it be a concert a choir concert a symphony concert a senior direct show prom graduation uh track and field there's a lot and so i have not been able to really sit down and watch much but when I have, it's just been the the comfort stuff, like mm-hmm. rewatching *Midsummer Murders*. Mm-hmm. And I know we are like season twenty-four, and it's weird that I'm the only person that has seen every episode ever that isn't actually British. But I can throw that on, and it will help me relax. Uh, I also made the horrible decision of last saturday i went out with my dad we went we tried to go to estate sales
2: mm-hmm.
1: and there were two estate sales we went to the estate sales the doors were like the people were lined up outside the door like out in the street people are waiting in line to go through the dead guy's stuff yeah and that was a lot and we we're like no we're not gonna do that So we drove around. We ended up at Goodwill. And I love my father. I don't understand him. And I never will. Uh But I do understand where he was at in this moment. Because he lives in Arizona for six months. He lives in, in Midwest Wisconsin for six months. And he gets very frustrated when he wants to watch a movie. And it's not available on any of the streaming services quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So my dad is part of this like pendulum swing back, which I'm part of it as well, where I'm just like, you know what? That's fine. I'm just going to buy DVDs, all the movies that I want to see.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I never have to do like, if I did not have a copy of sneakers and I could not watch sneakers, oh, that you would be, be a, a very bad thing. Yeah. Day. Yeah. My dad takes it to another level. So he has a list that is sometimes in his head and sometimes he writes down of movies that he needs to find in both places. Mm -hmm. So he can buy a copy of it for Arizona and a copy of it for Wisconsin. (laughs) What I do not understand and why if we go further in this podcast, at some point we have to have him on as a guest, because he has to explain himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we went to several different Goodwill locations searching for two movies. And I promise you, there is not an amount of money on earth that I could bet you that you would guess the two movies that he was looking for.
0: Oh, man, now I really want to know.
1: It's the first one that he really enjoys. And I think this is also just like a generational thing. Uh, was Wild Hogs.
0: Oh, it's a good movie, though.
1: It is a good movie. It is a good movie. Do you need a copy in both Arizona and Wisconsin?
0: I don't know. I'm with your dad here. I feel like you might need one. Fair.
1: So, uh, the other one, the other one, which somehow is more inexplicable to me, uh, was Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, unrated gotta be the unrated version because you can't okay. get that on streaming Uh, so he was able to find both of those and then we literally had this conversation where it was like I've already found all the things I'm looking for I have to think of other movies and I was like do you though hmm like I feel like if you really wanted a movie it would be top of mind and so he got he got he's I think at this point he has three to four copies of both of those so if anybody wants to borrow Wild Dogs or uh, Hot Tub Time Machine unrated, let my dad.
2: <laughs> because, he's
1: got, because whether you're in Arizona or Wisconsin, he's got two copies. <laughs> and I should I should not I should not judge, uh, because I look at my DVD collection. And I do the same thing. It was like shows that like if I can't find them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I want them on DVD because I want to watch them when I want to watch them. Right. I'm very much a middle aged white man. I should get my stuff right immediately. I shouldn't have to wait for anything. We ger we mm-hmm. gerrymandered the system to this point, so we don't have to wait. Oh, I love it. This is hilarious to me. This is so good. But so we we that's we went to. Actually, it was nice because I got some stuff that Goodwill that has been sitting in my closet for three years uh so that was good uh evidently when you don't have a car you can't put it in the trunk of your car and wait two years you just put it in your closet and right like silently hate it for no reason then i opened the boxes that i have not touched in three years and i looked at was like oh I-? I was like no you didn't even know this was gone <laughs> it's been in a box for three years you clearly don't care about that t-shirts enough that you should be like we should save this I was like no you don't
0: you don't need
1: it you don't you got enough t-shirts you worked at enough breweries and enough restaurants that like you got enough t-shirts
0: so that's what you got oh I saw a picture of a concert that you were at for your son
1: Yes. Uh, my old my youngest uh, did their symphony thing this weekend, which was super great at the St. Paul Symphony Orchestra, which is, they always do such a good job just making it seem like real legit and organized. And what I did not realize is that he was playing the xylophone on a song that I know very well, but only from commercials. So do you remember the old beef it's what's for dinner yes and then right after that they would do
2: mm-hmm.
1: evidently that is a song from it's called uh hoedown from rawhide Rah- oh I,
2: yeah which That's i never nice. knew was a
1: thing but my my youngest got to play the xylophone and do and like look non-plus the entire time it's like it's whatever like I'm not even trying. <laughs> Whatever dude. this is this is life oh, for it, me. It's like it's, yeah, it's like it's like like symphony doesn't get to be like yeah, like rock stars figured it out because rock stars were kids that played symphony and never got to a- actually celebrate. Mm-hmm. So then they became rock stars and they were like, "Yes, I did a guitar solo. Everyone, look at me." <laughs> Pay Attention, symphony doesn't get to do that. But it was it was really fun. It was a great time. Uh, I. Love this time of year, except it is so challenging from a schedule standpoint. Like, we've got symphony, we've got choir, we've got school choir, we've got senior direct stuff, we've got prom, we've got graduation. The youngest is doing hurdles for some inexplicable reason because that is like 300 meter hurdles is the worst thing you can do in track.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to run a long distance. And then inexplicably, just people throw up obstacles.
0: You just, yeah, you like, just, all of a sudden, you're, you're running, running, running. Oh, let me jump. What? No.
1: Yeah. And it, that's, like, I did the 800 in, in high school, and I thought that sucked, because it was like, sprint as long as you can until you die. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to die about half through, whatever. But he's doing that and jumping over things. Mm-hmm. It's a very strange thing. Like, I don't, I understand why the steeplechase is not a high school event, because not every high school can have a moat. (laughs) But I do love that there is a track and field event that exists with a moat, but not like a deep moat, not like a moat, like you're going to fall in, you got to swim out of it. It's just like, we want to get your shoes wet. So Mm -hmm. you're just uncomfortable for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like the most passive aggressive Minnesota thing ever like jump over this thing and now jump under a puddle and now your shoes are wet and then you just have to deal with it
2: <laughs> suck squish, it up squish, <laughs> squish,
0: squish. <laughs> oh my goodness all right <clears throat> so now are you ready i don't know why i said it like that but
1: i mean i i am ready i you said it like we were going to box, but I'm not going to box you because that's that's not going to work out well for me. I have
0: been working out my arms lately.
1: Well, you got you got a better reach, and also you're way more aggressive
2: than that.
1: <laughs> like, every, every fist fight I've ever been in, I spent the first five minutes trying to talk my way out of it. So, in a boxing match, that would just end bad. That.
0: That, no, but that's a good thing that you've been using your words. You've been using your well, words.
1: yeah. Until it's an actual boxing match. And then he's like, the boxing guy is not going to be like, oh, tell me about that.
0: <laughs> All right. This is episode 134, which means you get to, well, I guess just keep rolling.
1: We're just going to keep rolling.
0: <laughs> you just keep to keep going.
1: <laughs> All right. So we are, for this A side, uh, it is a certain time of year. And this time of year pops up all the time, and people ask, like, once a year. And because I spent a little time in Kentucky, people are like, oh, are you super into horse racing? hmm And I'm like, I mean, like, I don't... I've never raced a horse, but I feel like they would win. <laughs> but they're like, oh, you were in Kentucky, so you, you probably were at Churchill Downs. I'm like, I i wasn't i wish i had Mm
2: -hmm. uh
1: i had been promised by one of our fellow uh uh, salespeople that if i stuck around they would take me to churchill downs for the kentucky derby i didn't stick around because of family stuff uh but i i was really hoping to go Mm
2: -hmm.
1: ironically for me The biggest connection that I have to horse racing actually comes from my time in Massachusetts. So when we moved out to Massachusetts, we lived in the basement apartment of this gorgeous house where this little old lady was living in. And the basement apartment was really not even a basement apartment. I mean, the door was a three-quarter door. It was like a hobbit door. It was underneath the deck. Mm -hmm. We could not fit an actual mattress through the door. So we got like a air mattress for the first year of our life, which hindsight newlyweds having an air mattress, probably not the best thing in the world. Uh, we also got like a, couldn't get a couch. So we got a futon that I had to like carry up the stairs with myself. We loved the place. It was a block off of Revere beach. It was gorgeous,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the train stop that I would go to when it, I wanted to go to downtown when I was working at Shears or if I wanted to get later when I was working at Lycos or Sun Life, I would have to hop on the train at Suffolk Downs. And Suffolk Downs was an old old school horse racing track that had been around since the 1900s, like Mm -hmm. early 1900s. And it was one of the first places that one of the most famous horses of all time raced at in fact it was a place that he got seen by the person who would eventually recommend to be bought and become a gigantic hero of the early nineteen hundreds. also it's 2003 we're in boston and a movie is coming a movie that deals with this horse who was first seen at Suffolk Downs. So for me, when I think about the biggest horse race, which is happening this Saturday, which the broadcast will start at 1 p.m. The horses will not run for six hours. Maybe at 7 p.m. they will do something, but they will milk this all day long. It is the most egregious milking of an event of all. Yeah. Like, the Super Bowl at least happens for, like, three hours after they're done. You've got, you know, like, the Masters. The Kentucky Derby lasts, like, a minute and a half. Yeah. And they spend six hours talking about it. And I, I'm disappointed because I have talked to, like, when Brooklyn. Did you ever get to go to Derby?
0: No, I'm really disappointed. I've been to Derby parties, but never to Derby.
1: Yeah, I've never been to Derby. But I guess... When we were both there in the early 2000s, so like 2006, 2005, 2006, 2007, there were a lot of people in the sales staff who were recent graduates, but were also from Louisville who would talk about how the entire weekend was this huge thing. Like you go on Friday, you go on Saturday, you go on Sunday, you hang out in the infield, like you kind of dress up, but basically it's just like Woodstock for horse people. Mm Mm-hmm. And they raved about it. And one person that we used to work with, Jesse, is still going every weekend. And that's, I see them on Facebook, on the Instagram. Like, they've got four kids. Like, they're still doing the entire, like, Churchill Downs Mm
2: -hmm. thing.
1: They were out on Thursday for, like, some breakfast thing with the kids. It is an entire cultural event for Northern Kentucky. And mm-hmm. I really wish that I had gone. I did not. But as you mentioned, you've been to parties. I've been to some parties too. And honestly, I think Kentucky Derby parties might be the best sports related party that you can go to. One, okay. because you get to dress up and you're kind of expected to dress up.
0: Yes. And the, you got to wear a big hat if you're a woman, like a big crazy you hat. You got to wear a
1: big hat. And like the guys got to like do the, the at least like throwing jacket or something, maybe, maybe like a. Like a tie, but like... Drink a mint was, and julep. Which, they're not good. They're <laughs> not good.
0: I've never had one, so I'm glad you said that.
1: They're not good. They're just, they're just meh. They're just real meh. So the Ducky Derby is a cultural event for Kentucky, for Northern Kentucky, Southern Indiana, Illinois, uh, Ohio. Like, it is it is a thing. Like, everyone has to show and for me, that was never a thing that I understood because I never went to horse races. I had never seen a horse race until I was in uh, Massachusetts. And I didn't even really care all that much. Like mm-hmm. we, like when I was a kid, we never watched the Kentucky Derby. Like you grew up in, in upstate New York. Did you guys make no. time to watch the Kentucky Derby? No. no. If it was on, you'd watch
0: it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember ever like even really thinking about Derby until I moved to the South.
1: Yeah, it's it's not a thing anywhere else, and it's that is that's a scary thing to admit to people from Kentucky mm-hmm. because life revolves around it, and it's a four day event. Yeah, and people show up, and people love horses. Like I have not spent a lot of time with horses in my life uh i first rode a horse when i was high on diamond tap at a lutheran camp in the summer um <laughs> uh, when i was 15 uh-huh. and uh the horse did not listen to me
2: uh-huh. but
1: i mean to be fair i was high on diamond tap, so i wouldn't either. so uh and when i say I was high on diamond tap, i figured out that there was one percent alcohol diamond tap. And I was trying to get over a cold, so I took, like, double doses. Mm-hmm. Did it Did it actually impact me? Probably not. Did I pretend it did? Absolutely. Any sort of opportunity for me to pretend that I was not under control of my own faculties is just, that's, like, giving me a gold star for the day. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to do whatever I can.
2: Right. But
1: you're like, oh, the top 10. Absolutely ridiculous. I should not be allowed in public, especially when I was 16 years old but I got on a horse mm. and I had no idea what it was doing and then the horse just took off running, but I think the horse took off running because I wouldn't shut up mm. Okay. and to that horse's horrible experience, the voice that it was running away from was just on its back for entire time <laughs> so I get why it kept running because it's like how can I escape this horrible voice It doesn't shut up at all. I don't understand anything it's saying. So that's my entire experience with Horseman. It wasn't great. But we're in Boston, and it's 2003, and the movie Seabiscuit is going into theaters. And I find out that Seabiscuit has a connection to Suffolk Downs. Suffolk Downs is my train stop right up the road from this beautiful house that we live in, the basement apartment with the Hobbit door and i as i am want to do instead of just saying like hey i want to go to a race at Suffolk Downs because i'm a liar and i usually it's just easier for me to lie than to say the truth i'm like oh i got to work like and i went to a race at suffolk downs to see yeah. the horses
0: yeah why would you lie about that okay
1: no, that's, like, this 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 ain't therapy. I'm not paying you enough. So. <laughs> but yes, that is a fair question. And it's something that we're dealing with currently at therapy. Why do you just make up stories and lie instead of saying the truth?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm totally six feet tall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. So I went to a show. Or a show. I do that. Like, I call everything's a my show. son's everything well and also like every practice is a rehearsal like it is embarrassing to text my 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 son who was doing the 300 meter intermeter hurdles and i'm like so how was the rehearsal
0: It's like it's practice called
1: practice that it's like i was, like, <laughs> was, like, I was like, but you were rehearsing for the event right i mean <laughs> like i can't admit that i'm wrong so i just doubled out of lies uh-huh but Suffolk Downs blew me away. Like I walk in, I'm trying to figure out, like I've never been to a racetrack. Before. I have no idea what I'm doing. I probably just gave people money that didn't need money because they were like, yeah, what want to do that?" i like, okay, here, take some dollars. And they walked away. They could have been beggars. They could have, I could have bet on something. I don't actually know. But it was this old school, like everything's wood, kind of run down. But it felt like old-school horse track.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, this is a... Like, at one point, the three top sports in America were horse racing, boxing, and baseball. Okay. You cannot have any of those three in the top six right now. Like, baseball's trying to get back into But at one point, if you said... War Admiral or Seabiscuit, people knew who you were talking about. If you said Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig, people knew who you were talking about. If you said, you know, Rocky Calvatito or Rocky Marchionato, I just only know guys named Rocky the Fox. <laughs> people knew.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, like, can you name... So so the Kentucky Debris is in two days. I could not tell you any of the... No. Can you name any of the top
0: boxers any top boxers
1: yeah like not dogs but like people who punch uh
0: i mean i don't know Connor mcgregor of, no he's mma um exactly no floyd yeah. mayweather is he still fighting
1: he's not he's oh. older than both of us but he could beat me up immediately one punch oh, okay. i would crumple like a folding chair okay no but like and, that's and that's absolutely. how far we've come like even even with like even with baseball, can you name who you think is the best baseball player? No, <laughs> like not even a guess. I couldn't even venture a guess for baseball. No, fair. So that's how far we've come and that sets the stage for the A side of today. As I've been thinking about Kentucky Derby happening this weekend and how much I would have loved to have gone with Kathy and her family, and who to this day, like I feel like if I called them up and said, "Hey," I'm going to the Kentucky Derby. You guys want to meet me there?
0: One hundred percent, she would.
1: Absolutely, good Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I helped their oldest daughter move out of the dorms by carrying a stupid mini fridge down way too many stairs. Mm -hmm. But it was a good time. But they would they would be there, and I wish that I could have gone to the Kentucky Derby because they they go every year. Like they Mm -hmm. get it, they're like they know all the places to go. For me, it's. It's not something I really understand. However, in 2003, when I'm in Boston and everyone is talking about this movie about this horse, and I'm like, okay, horse movie. My friend Flecko or something. It's going to be fun. I actually got to see Cease Biscuit in the theater in Boston, on Boston Comic with my wife at the time. We went to the movie because it, was ha- it had a connection to Boston. And the best part about that is like in the movie, they really don't talk about the Boston connection. But all anyone could talk about it in the lead up to the movie when you're in Boston is like, oh, Seabiscuit was here first at Suffolk Downs, and that's where they get seen. That's why. And then like the movie happens, and it never gets mentioned. Everyone's like, No, it's okay. Like, we know though. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys. So we are now at the most important horse racing weekend of the year.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: whether you whether you are a horse fanatic a horse novice, a horse meh, you will deal with Saturday the Kentucky Derby Hat. And the most famous horse that I with, probably because he is a little undersized, uh, doesn't listen well, and has a lot of attitude, is Seabis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So today we will look at probably 10 to 15 little known facts from the movie sea biscuit and the sea biscuit movie is available on roku and on hulu if you want to pay money so it's not completely not free right it's pretty close but let's be honest like you don't come to the a-side for movies that you could see easily you come to the a-side movies you that need you the challenge
0: you want the yeah. challenge
1: like like if it was easy you'd be like whatever we don't need to do that. So mm-hmm. here are ten to fifteen, maybe twenty reasons or interesting things about Sea Biscuit that you might have not known. Okay. So in the movie Sea Biscuit, which came out in two thousand three, the horse who played the role was actually a nepo baby because he was a descendant of the real Sea Biscuit as well. Oh, cool. So I mean I'm sure there are other horses being like, oh, he just got the role because he knows somebody. No. Nepotism in Hollywood. Yeah, nepotism in Hollywood. Not shocking. Uh, this was the late 90s, early 2000s where you had some guys that were just absolutely destroying it in their careers. You know, Toby McGuire, who's like, dude, the Spider-Man, but also like actually kind of being in like Oscar worthy movies. You had Jeff Daniels, Vic Lebowski, uh, total comeback from being shot repeatedly in speed and then blown up. That was that was not a great start, but like he finished the 90s out very well. And then a guy whose career that I wish I know I say this a lot, but I'm a middle-aged man who's just hoping to someday be on screen. Chris Cooper had a five-year period where he was the best supporting actor in so many films and he came out of nowhere. He was an American beauty dealing with, am I like, what, what is my attraction level? How am I dealing with my neighbor and all that stuff? He got a best supporting actress for this one, Mm -hmm. uh, or best supporting actor, uh, for this one as the trainer, uh, and, he had this five-year period, and he's been in a lot of stuff since. But like, his sweet spot, his sweet spot was so good. It was like Oscar movie after Oscar movie after Oscar movie for like a four-year period. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking a lot; just like I'll do it in a two-year. Just give me like two movies. <laughs> he had a bunch in that period. It was so, so good. Uh, so the movie itself is based off a book. As many great movies are, uh, Sea Biscuit: An American Legend by Laura Hildenbrand, which was a national or a New York Times bestseller and a National Book Award finalist in the late nineties. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It won for Best Sound Mixing, then Best Film Editing, and Best Supporting Actor for Chris Cooper, who we've already mentioned. Uh, sea Biscuit was a racehorse and cultural icon that continues to be celebrated he has a museum dedicated to his memory in Santa anita in california and before suffolk downs closed there were also like, monuments to him at suffolk downs suffolk downs closed in 2014 because no one goes to horse races anymore i'm surprised it lasted that long but it is no longer a thing uh sea jockey who was played by tom Toby McGuire. His name was Red Pollard And he had quite the life. He through the Great Depression, his parents were like, ah, oh, we can't feed you. So, like, go live with your friend who runs a horse farm. So he was just helping horses. And then he couldn't get a job anywhere. So he became a boxer. Was a good enough boxer that he was winning, but a bad enough boxer that he got blinded in one eye. Ooh. Which factors into one of Seabiscuit's Biscuit's only losses in the movie, they mentioned that Red Pollard, who's his jockey, couldn't see the horse coming up on the left because he couldn't see out of his left eye. Oh.
2: So he he
1: didn't get to he didn't get to warn Seabiscuit that there was a horse coming. But the thing is, Seabiscuit, and this is one of those, is it made for movie moments? Is it a urban legend? Because it, it happened before the movie. But is it a little too good to be true? Sea biscuit would run alongside another horse, but he wouldn't pass that horse until he could look him in the eye.
2: What? No. So
1: this, yes, no. This this is this happened in the movie. It happened like (laughs) anecdotally in real life. So war admiral was the triple crown winner, like the. Grand poobah of all horse racing. And he looked it. He was giant. He was this giant horse, just muscles on muscles, and like, oh, whatever. Sea Biscuit looks like that horse's little brother. Mm-hmm. And Sea Biscuit is winning all these races on the West Coast. And his owner's like, hey, we should race against the number one horse, War Admiral. And War Admiral's like, whatever, we're not going to. And they decided to do it one time at Suffolk Downs. It was supposed to happen at Suffolk Downs. And Biscuit has traveled all the way from California and he's sick. So he's not coming up. So it doesn't happen at Suffolk Downs. So the, the great showdown. A showdown which at the time brought in 40 million people
2: mm-hmm.
1: to listen to the radio broadcast.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like, Brooke, you are in radio right now. Are there 40 million people in... In uh, Lincoln, that listen to you?
0: No, no, there's not.
1: Yeah, that it's a lot of people. That's like Super Bowl levels.
0: Now, I will say, ooh, and it makes me nervous to say this. Huh, ooh, I might throw ugh, the awards. Oh, oh, the awards show next week. There, are, there might be forty million people that hear my voice.
2: Yeah, yeah. There you
1: go. So maybe, you know, in, in like a metaphysical way, your sea biscuit. Ooh, I'll take it. Yeah. The the the, the plucky un, un undeterred underdog from a small market comes in and overthrows the big horse. <laughs> anyway, in the in the final race, uh which was listened to on national radio and had an estimated 40 million listeners, uh Biscuit beats War Admiral. But he only beats War Admiral because, and, and again, this this is where like it's hard to separate fiction from reality.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: Red Pollard could not ride Sea Biscuit that day because he had a broken leg. So he got his friend, who was a Canadian, and like we all trust Canadians, that's fine, as his Canadian friend to ride the horse. But he told them, he said, Seabiscuit has to look him in the eye before he passes, or he won't pass.
0: That's wild. So
1: see so seabiscuit gets the lead, and the jockey remembers what Red Pollard has told him and literally slows the horse down. (gasps) Because he knows that Seabiscuit has to look War Admiral in the eye as sort of a fuck you, I guess. Sorry, Mops. He looks him in the eye and then immediately takes off. He's like, watch this. Is this true? Really? This is. This is this is what the story says okay I don't know if it's true but it's a hell of a good it's a hell of a good lie yeah and then to play that out further Red Pollard could not ride Sea Biscuit in that race but later he rode Sea Biscuit against the same jockey in one of Sea Biscuit's last races and the jockey who had ridden Sea Biscuit against War Admiral waited. And wanted to race Seabiscuit head-to-head. And he said, I want Seabiscuit to look my horse in the eye. And and then we'll see who is better.
2: Mm.
1: Seabiscuit looks the horse in the eye and just dusts it. Like, whatever. Like, F you, man. Which is why I think Seabiscuit is the most Boston of all horses.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because, yeah, he spent some time at Suffolk Downs. But after living in Boston for three years and a place that I would absolutely loves to live again the fact that a horse would slow down look you in the eye and then speed off yeah is absolutely every boston driver that's a boston driver i've ever seen oh yeah yeah so uh sea biscuit is available on your streaming services if you have fubu it's already on there. You can rent it on Apple TV. Um, I would say that if you're like me and my dad, this is definitely a movie that you could buy for a dollar at Goodwill and never regret having in go your to collection. The estate sale. So oh. <laughs> you go to the estate sale. Go to Goodwill. I mean, maybe not Wild Hogs. Maybe not Hot tub Time Machine. Unrated. Uh, but definitely Seabiscuit. So if you see that one, pick it up. Uh, and that is the A-side. And all of the links and details to uh reviews and all of the breakdown of the film will be available on our website a side b sides podcast.square.site i was gonna say did you forget i probably did for a little bit
0: (laughs) all right there we go that's the ace so this week's b side not a jockey not a horse but he did run he did escape does that count
1: I mean I mean run like you stole it I guess
0: run from the law like yeah like he he ran from the law like Biscuit ran from the, I don't know I don't know anyway this week on the b-side <laughs> I was really trying but it just wasn't working all right so this week on the so, sometimes
1: the segue has no way
0: there was no way there was no way uh, this week, we're talking about uh, Ronnie Lee Gardner. So Ronnie Lee was born in Salt Lake City, Utah on January 16th of 1961. He's actually the youngest of seven children. Dan and Ruth are his parents. Dan, like we've seen several times in the past, was a bit of a drinker who left the family. We've seen this before, too. He actually left the family to start another one. I don't know, was he so intoxicated he forgot he had a family and was like, hey, I'd really like a family. Let me go get married and start a family.
1: No, See, see what you're ascribing to logic is not something that happens to drunk males.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: don't think he realized he had one family or a second family. He just did some stuff and later it was described to him that he had two families. And he was like,
2: oh,
0: that's why, okay. I've been going, traveling back and forth a lot because I've got two families
1: yeah yeah and and i was like oh maybe i should have just you know filled the seat upon the ground bible
0: <laughs> so when ronnie lee was about 18 months old his parents divorced and then about six months later when he was about two ronnie was found wandering the streets completely alone and malnourished he was taken to great. no so he's of course taken in And child welfare workers filed a fail-to-care petition that granted the state. They basically took custody from the parents and granted custody um, to the state. He was later, though, returned to his mom. His relationship with his dad was very troubled. His dad didn't believe that Ronnie was his biological son, and he would, like, throw it in his face. Like, a lot. Like, a lot. Probably, hence, the other family. I don't know. (laughs) but you're the one that started the other family not your wife so mm, okay anyway yeah but
1: we're the first guy that like inexplicably blamed the one spouse for having the other spouse
0: right yeah i mean
1: logic logic does not often apply to romantic relationships especially if oh yeah that too especially not that (laughs) although at one point there's like there's like a five minute period when they're really drunk where they start to make sense. Then everything after that is worse. Then it's all blah, blah, incoherent. Mass, yeah, right? like if you, if, you get, if you get like that five minutes, it's like you can actually understand someone's feelings. <laughs> they will never remember it, but.
0: <laughs> so now remember, Ronnie is the youngest of seven. So he was pretty much raised by one of his older sisters. And unfortunately, he was allegedly abused by his siblings sexually. Hmm. Sometimes he and his older sister Bonnie would run away and they would go to what was referenced as a hobo camp to seek refuge from the abuse that they were seeking and uh, that they not seeking, that they were receiving from the family when he was 10 years old, he ended up addicted to drugs and was given access to alcohol He and his brother, Randy, were actually arrested for stealing cowboy boots and put in juvenile detention. He recalled that his father, Dan, came to take his brother, Randy, home, but left him behind. So Ronnie Lee's mom ended up remarrying to a man named Bill Lucas. And Bill, she's got great taste in men because Bill, he had been incarcerated in Wyoming in 1968. So he's the youngest of seven until his mom and Bill add to the family two more, becoming a family of nine children. Ronnie Lee actually really admired Bill Lucas, who used um, Ronnie as a lookout when he would go terrorizing, burglarizing homes. That's the stepfather you need right there. That's a male figure right there. By his early teens, Ronnie had been in and out of juvenile detention centers. For a number of different reasons, including uh, one time for involuntary commitment at the Utah State Hospital in Provo. As a small boy, he'd been described as someone that had enough fight in him to earn respect. He said himself,
1: I was a nasty little bugger.
0: So while he was.
1: I mean, like good on him for knowing himself, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So while he was at, d- during one of his stints in and out of, you know, detention centers and things, he was at Utah State Industrial School in Ogden. A man named Jack Stat, who was actually living with um, Ronnie Lee's brother, Randy, visited Ronnie Lee. Ronnie Lee and Randy had met at a bus stop and paid Randy um, $25 for oral pleasures.
1: Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I'm just saying like my, my threshold would be a little bit higher about
0: <laughs> 25 bucks. Yeah. That's not quite that much. So when no. Ronnie Lee is released from the school in 1975, he stays with Jack Statt. Social workers, of course, have to check on him. And they note that the men in the house dressed a lot like women. Officially Jack Statt became a foster parent to Ronnie Lee and Randy ronnie lee said that jack liked to uh perform the oral pleasures on them and he said i thought it was a normal part of life
1: i mean if you don't know you don't know yeah i guess did you do the dishes okay here's the next thing
0: ends up that ronnie lee under the care of jack stat becomes a sex worker um psychologists who uh, examined ronnie lee say that jack stat fit the profile of a pedophile Uh, makes sense yeah yeah ronnie lee said his time in foster care was probably the most stable period of his life he says in his own words jack was a good man and he tried to help us out he was a pedophile my guy he wasn't a good man
1: yeah but he but he i mean i guess when you when you're if you are defining good by somebody that at least is trying to take care of you even if they're being manipulative if you hadn't had anybody take care of you before but maybe that seems like good
0: i guess your sense of right and wrong just becomes so warped i guess
1: you know like like if you don't have a horizon you don't know where the land is
0: well ronnie intermittently continued to go to the industrial school and while he was there he met a woman named deborah bischoff in salt lake city at an apartment complex where his mom lived deborah described ronnie lee as quote very caring he never put me in the rough situations he was in throughout his life, he sheltered me from that stuff. Ronnie Lee had a daughter in May of 1977 and a son in the, in February of 1980 with Deborah. But he was then convicted of robbery and he sent off to Utah State Prison the same month that his son was born. Oh no! So remember, I've I referenced him running.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So Ronnie Lee managed manages to run. He escapes a maximum security prison unit on April 19th of 1981. And he ends up shot in the neck while attempting to kill a man who he believed had sexually assaulted and raped Deborah Bischoff in February of 1983. He's caught put back in and he's identified as a ringleader in a disturbance where inmates had barricaded a cell block and started fires. On August 6th of 1984, Ronnie Lee escapes from the University of Utah Hospital because he had faked an illness. He faked being sick and he's like pretending to vomit. So they take him to the hospital and he escapes custody. Once he escapes, he attacks transportation officer Don Levitt and forces him to unlock his shackles and tells tells him, I guess you know that if the doctor comes back, I'll have to kill you both. While in, in the process of his escape, Ronnie Lee strikes Officer Don Levitt so hard that he had to have his jaw wired shut and had to have his face reconstructed. Nice. So then Ronnie Lee forces a medical student named Mike Lynch to take him from the hospital on a motorcycle while well, he's got a gun in his back the whole time. Peace. On August 11th, a mail carrier found Don Levitt's firearm in a mailbox with a note from Ronnie Lee that said, here's the gun in the wallet taken from the guard at the hospital. I don't want to hurt anybody else. I just want to be free. So now that's in August. He's quiet, quiet, quiet for a few months. Then on October 9th of 1984, Ronnie Lee robs the Cheers Tavern in Salt Lake City. No, not that Cheers that you're familiar with in Boston, Adam.
1: Don't don't mess with my Cheers. No,
0: no, not that one. So, well, he, he does this because he is high on cocaine. So he robs the Cheers Tavern and he ends up shooting a bartender named Melvin John Otterstrom in the face. And unfortunately, he kills Melvin John.
1: That's what Mel- happens when you shoot somebody in the face?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know too many people that survived that, except who's that one, the guy that went hunting with um the presidential candidate and he got
1: shot. Uh, Dick Cheney. Yeah, yeah. yeah got Dick shot
0: Cheney. in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do that's like- the only one I know.
1: Yeah, he, he probably got a lot of money to be like, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, good. My grandkids are good. Great grandkids <laughs> are good. Everybody's fine. I never have to turn my head left. It's fine.
0: <laughs> so, uh, I lost my spot. So, Melvin's cousin, Craig Watson, said that. Can we, the- keep,
1: can we keep that, though? Can we keep that? Can we keep that? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was really <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, we can keep it.
1: I just don't want you to keep to like skip over it because you're like that's not like, you need to hear that in real time.
0: <laughs> All right, so stop making me lose my place. So, <laughs> uh, Melvin's cousin Craig Watson said that the robbery gained less than a hundred dollars. So he shoots and kills Melvin, robs this bar, and walks
1: away with less than a hundred dollars. I mean, like, what are we talking like this nineteens? 1970- Seventies, eighty-four. So, hundred dollars sucks at that point. So, this is not like we we can't even rationalize this. Uh -uh. Like, what at the time? No, no.
0: So, it said that Ronnie Lee actually attended Melvin's funeral and pretended to be a childhood friend of his.
1: So, saying he's a sociopath. Yes.
0: A tip said that
1: before when he shot a bunch.
0: Yeah, a tip comes in to police. A few weeks after the funeral, it says that Ronnie Lee is at the home of his cousin.
1: You know, it was some like aunt who was like, no, he did not.
0: (laughs) He left the dishes in the sink. No, I'm calling
1: the police. Nope. Mm -mm. No, no. She's like, he didn't show up at this funeral. I'm not, I'm not ruining the funeral, but I'm going to call tomorrow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So, so the police
0: of course find him at his cousin's house. They arrest him. And you know, when he's being questioned, he says that the shooting occurred because Melvin put up a fight. But there's no evidence to the fact that Melvin had put up any kind of fight. So there's nothing supporting this claim.
1: And also, it's the 80s. You don't just get to shoot people that put up a fight. No,
0: not even. It's still not okay. A, a, anytime. any time. No, it's not okay. You're robbing a place. 80- You're yeah. in the it's wrong. It's not the 1880s. Right. You're in the wrong, right. like,
1: yeah. I was like, oh, he put up a fight. I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> oh, well he put, put up apologize. a fight. Well, that's, uh, to, you know, like- well, I totally get it then should have know him better i mean like of <laughs> on him i guess you all right
0: so, so ronnie lee is held in custody and he's given a 1.5 million dollar bond man the get the getaway driver of the robbery a guy named darcy perry mccoy actually testifies against ronnie lee because darcy I mean, honestly, was like i ain't going to
1: jail for you if i was gonna hire a getaway driver and like the, the options were like joe smith or Darcy Perry McCoy. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Darcy, Darcy all the way. Like,
2: Darcy. Yeah, that guy's been
1: running for stuff his entire life.
0: <laughs> so, so during the trial, <laughs> the trial, <laughs> during the trial on April 2nd of 1985, Ronnie Lee tries to escape again. So he smuggles a revolver into the Metropolitan Hall of Justice at Salt Lake. Jim also, Klein. How did
1: that happen? Yeah.
0: Like, and who was like, oh yeah, here you go. Here's my revolver. So Jim, uh, Klein, Darcy,
1: obviously Darcy's already not, Darcy,
0: not Darcy. Darcy's like, no, nah, I'm done with you. Uh, Jim Klein, who's a, a firefighter on the Salt Lake uh, city fire department. He thinks that the gun was actually given to Gardner as he was being escorted into the courthouse from the underground
1: parking lot. Oh yeah, but did, what what is that? Is that here over there? Like, so, thanks, Jim, for your your like theory. But did you do anything?
0: <laughs> so Ronnie Lee, as he's attempting to escape, is shot in the chest by a guard named Luther Hensley. Ronnie Lee then wounds another person, an unarmed bailiff named George Kirk, who is nicknamed Nick. He shoots him in the in the abdomen. To be so fair, if my name
1: was George. I would also go by. Nick.
0: <laughs> he's running. Through the, the courthouse, he makes his way into the courtroom archives and he confronts two attorneys, Robert Macri and Michael Burdell. And according so to Robert,
1: did mm-hmm. George go by Nick after the shooting because he only got hit a little bit, or was that before?
0: No, see, I don't even think they were related. Leave that to you.
1: All right. I'm just saying he changed his name to Nick because he only got a graze. George Nick got... Kirk is his name. Stop it. He got Nick by a vote. While Ronnie Lee
0: is confronting these attorneys. Robert Macri says that Ronnie Lee pointed the gun at him and he he, then he changed his aim and he starts pointing the gun at Michael Burdell, who was actually there doing like something really cool. He was doing some pro bono work for his church. So Burdell, with the gun pointed at him by Ronnie Lee, yells, oh my God. And then Ronnie Lee shoots him under the eye. Where when, after he shoots him, he then runs outside the building where he's surrounded by police officers, he then throws the yep. gun away, and 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 drops down and yells, "Don't shoot! I don't have a gun. Yeah, don't shoot now! After I've shot like
1: eight people." So this is why we know this happened like forty years ago because that guy would have got like riddled with AK forty seven bullets. Yeah, I'm sorry. A- maybe, 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 Dep- depending on his race, honestly. Yeah.
0: Ronnie Lee was taken to the University of Utah Health Center, Health Services Center, and he's listed in serious condition. But he recovers. Unfortunately, and then he was
1: given two wives. It was really weird. Shut
0: up. Unfortunately, Michael Burdell passes away. Forty-five minutes uh, later, he's in surgery um, at Holy Cross Hospital, and he passes.
1: Nick, the guy that gets shot under the eye.
0: Yes. Yes, yeah. the attorney that gets shot that was doing pro bono work for his church.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, The unarmed bailiff, Nick, aka George Kirk, he's initially listed in critical condition at LDS Hospital. Fortunately, he survives a surgery. There's a big search of the courthouse and a bag of men's clothing is found in the basement under the women's restroom sink prosecutor bob stott believes that ronnie lee's gun had actually been taped to a water fountain on the first floor now you remember the firefighter um jim klein thought it was passed to ronnie lee while they were in the garage well this prosecutor thinks that it was taped under the women's sink so somewhere somehow it's that gun got in and he knew where it was yeah
1: either way not not like four stars for the security yeah
0: So remember the getaway driver, Darcy Perry McCoy. He actually Mm. managed to get out of Dodge too. And he's found unarmed and arrested about a mile away. His sister, Karma Jolie Hainsworth, was sentenced to eight years in prison for delivering the clothes and the messages in preparation for the escape attempt. But Mm. the identity of the person who provided Ronnie Lee with the firearm, not ever been known. We still don't know. not at that time.
1: I do love that the getaway driver at least got away a little bit.
0: (laughs) So state corrections director, William Vickery, he cleared the actions of any of the prison guards who escorted Ronnie Lee, but he said, it's not my guys, but Salt Lake County Sheriff, N.D. Pete Hayward, his name's N.D. A.K.A. Pete. He said that the guard who shot Ronnie Lee should have kept shooting until Ronnie Lee was dead. There's a, re- a review found that the guards were inhibited from shooting because Ronnie Lee was using a hostage as a human shield. So that's why that one guard was not able to shoot and shoot, shoot and shoot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Sheriff Hayward, Pete, said that the escape attempt appeared to be well planned and blamed the security breach on the layout of the Metropolitan Hall of Justice, which allowed unrestricted access to areas where prisoners were transported.
1: Yeah, that, that's got to be it. What was it like anybody could have done a better job? Just ah, architecture.
0: <laughs> so Melvin John Otterstrom, he was a mountain climber and a veteran of the 19th Special Forces Group of the U- Utah National Guard. He survived <laughs> by his wife Kathy and a five-year-old son named Jason. Michael Burdell was a Vietnam veteran, a former engineer, and a member of the Samam Church. He was survived by his girlfriend, Donna New, who would go on to advocate against Ronnie Lee's execution. Oh, interesting. Ronnie Lee is diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. And in June of 1985, he pleads guilty to the murder of Melvin Otterstrom. And he receives a life sentence without the possibility of parole at one point he starts to threaten that he's going to disrupt any court hearings any subsequent court hearings because he's upset that he's being required to wear a leg brace that would lock if he attempts to escape again oh my gosh they're taking precautions to make sure you don't escape again you're going to disrupt all the hearings shut your face
1: yeah you tried to escape recently so kind of on you dude
0: so the guards are like dude you might want to behave in front in front of these jurors because they kind of hold your fate in their hands so you might want to act right district judge j.e banks instructs the jury on october 22nd of 1985 i think we started in june sentencing um the the penalty phase is october that they had the option of a verdict for the lesser offensive manslaughter if they found that ronnie lee was under mental or emotional distress Distress when he shot Michael Birdrell, Uh Burdell, excuse me. Now remember, he's the one escaping. He's the one that confronts these attorneys. He's the one that shoots him under the eye, but he's under mental distress or emotional stress. I, Whatever.
1: You, you, you caused the emotional distress.
0: Right. The jurors deliberated less than three hours and found Ronnie Lee guilty of capital murder. He's sentenced to death and his choice for death is execution by firing squad over lethal injection. Legislators in Utah had actually eliminated the firing squad as a method of execution in 2004, but convicts who were sentenced before that date, like Ronnie Lee, could still select that option. Since 1987- 1980,
1: so what would you choose, firing Ooh. squad or lethal injection?
0: Ooh. Oh. I feel like firing squad would be faster.
2: I feel the lethal like injection.
0: Worse. I feel like it's faster but more painful, whereas you kind of drown and suffocate with lethal injection.
1: So here's my thought. I can intimidate people with guns and insult them. I cannot insult a syringe. Mm. So if I taunt them enough with enough yeah, fish, you're not gonna my- taunt
0: five you know, if there's five guards, you're not taunting all of them enough to miss. I mean, it, I I got more
1: of a chance than the syringe. And then they're just gonna reload and do it again. Do they get like? I guess that's the question. Like, how many times are you gonna try? Like, how many jokes do I have to have? I think it's I till you're dead. Dead. I, I don't think I there's like, like a. I feel like it. I feel like if they miss twice, then you should be able to be like, I'm good.
0: <laughs> I don't know that five fully trained people are going to miss you twice.
1: Exactly. So if miss us twice, it's kind of like a reprieve.
0: Yeah. All right. You take those odds. You take those odds. Like I said. Okay. According to
1: crimemuseum.org, uh, uh, it doesn't matter if everybody misses because then one dude just will walk up and gets to shoot you in the head. Ah, okay then. So, but I mean, at least you get that like minor victory. Mm, for what? 30 seconds? I mean, when it—that's all you got. An extra thirty seconds might feel like the world. Yeah, no. And also, those those like five dudes that missed you—you are to be like, you guys should never be part of this again. Shame. Oh. I, I
0: okay. don't I don't I don't want that extra thirty seconds looming over me. I'm good. I mean,
1: if that if that's what I got, you know, if I'm I'm, I'm facing the firing squad, am I going to mock those five dudes and hope they all miss? Absolutely. Mm. How about and this? Really Let's it? not do anything
0: that's going to get us the death sentence.
1: Well, you don't know. Like sometimes, like, what if I quantum leap into somebody else's body? I wasn't me. But what am I going to do? Got to well, got to plan these things out. Hopefully, you quantum leap out before it happens. <laughs> anyway, well, maybe. anyway, how messed up is that Like, I am forty two and concerned about quantum leaping into people's bodies. Um, that's a whole different episode.
0: Um, So, in 1976, or since 1976, only two other people have been executed by firing squad in the United States, and they both happen to be in Utah Gary Gilmore and John Albert Taylor. John Albert Taylor said he chose a firing squad to embarrass the state. Ronnie Lee said that he did not want to attract attention and simply preferred to die that way. He actually, his quote was, I prefer to die of old age, Your Honor. But if that ain't possible, I'll take the firing squad. Yeah, it's not happening.
1: Not happening. I mean, like, honestly, given the same situation, I'd be like, I don't really want to get old. It's fine. <laughs> like, I'm already, I've already got back problems. I mean, like, let's just time and place. Firing squad, 65, 75. Cool. Let's do it. Oh, man.
0: So Ronnie Lee's incarceration, he was then Utah's youngest inmate on death row. Um, There was a hearing held in February of 1987 where Ronnie Lee and other inmates claimed that the unconstitutional confinement in unsanitary conditions with poor food, um, they were suing, like, the state. On October 28th of 1987, Ronnie broke a glass partition in a prison visiting area and ended up having sex with a woman who was there to meet him while other prisoners cheered him on and barricaded the doors wild that is so wild
1: i mean sometimes we get by with a little help from our friends uh,
0: i mean uh, I,
1: uh, that's just yeah um I mean, uh, uh, love love conquers all
0: yeah okay so state prison officials said uh, a state prison official named juan benavidez said that ronnie knocked the lights out of an officer excuse me had knocked out the lights i'm 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 thinking he's so violent he knocked his lights out but he actually knocked out the lights um and an officer in the control room could still see what was going on ronnie oh, so claimed he,
1: he, he didn't knock his lights out
0: no he, he just actually knocked knocked out broke the some lights. lights yeah
1: is it this is where like metaphor and hyperbole or just like tough yeah
0: so Ronnie Which Lee claims like... that the the glass breaking was an an accident. I didn't mean it, but while it's broken, I'm gonna jump over here and do the hoochie coo. Um, <laughs> in 1993,
1: sorry, just 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 to recap, do the what now?
0: The hoochie coo. Shut up. Shut up. In <laughs> 1993, Utah, Utah State Rep Dan Tuttle introduced what he called the Ronnie Lee Gardner Bill where he proposed that law enforcement officers should be permitted to shoot inmates attempting to escape, whether they're armed or not.
1: So also known as the anti-hoochie-coochie bill.
0: The anti-hoochie-coochie bill. You know, no hoochie-coochie for you, my man. So on September we twenty, will sh-
1: We will shoot you.
0: Are you going to let me finish? <laughs> I'm,
1: so- I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry.
0: On September 25th of 1994, Ronnie Lee ended up drunk because he made alcohol in his cell because he was fermenting like fruit in his prison sink. And then he got so drunk that, you know, when he's drunk, he's intoxicated. He does stupid things. He stabs another inmate, Richard Fats Thomas, with a shiv that he made from a pair of sunglasses. So Tom, Richard Thomas Fats, he suffered nine puncture wounds. They were in his face, his mouth, his arm, his chest. And they were life-threatening, the but he made a full recovery. Huh?
1: That's a lot. I'm just saying. That's, like, what did you say? Like, he stabbed the guy. It's like, oh, he stabbed you. and you're like, oh, nine times the face. It's like, the okay. Face. That's different. The face, the
0: mouth, the arm, and the chest. Yeah. Even though um, Fats survived the stabbing, Ronnie Lee was charged with another capital crime under a law from 1974. Even though this is happening in 1994, there was a law that was put on the books in 1974 in Utah that reserved mm-hmm. um, the right for prisoner attacks by first degree inmates to be charged with this capital
1: with a capital crime. I think there's a lot of laws from the 1970s or ni- 1770s on the books in Utah. Yeah, I'm sure there
0: still are. I'm sure there's laws yeah. from way before that. You can,
1: at, at least, in my understanding, there are no non-state-owned liquor stores in utah yeah
0: oh interesting okay the
1: state the state owns all the liquor stores huh. which just takes away like paying positions for ne'er-do-wells
0: <laughs> so there is actually no precedent in the united states for a death penalty that was carried out for a crime like ronnie committed so the constitutionality of the law was actually challenged with his defense attorneys calling it stale and anachronistic. And the charge against him was actually thrown out by the Utah Supreme Court because the victim didn't die. Because you can't commit a capital crime. Capital, you know, you can't be charged with capital murder if the victim doesn't die. Okay. In February of 19 19- good,
1: good job, guy for a living. <laughs>
0: In February of 1996, Ronnie Lee threatens to sue the sue to force the state of Utah to execute him by firing squad. He told a judge in 1991 in a hearing that he was motivated by his children to seek the death, the lethal injection, but he later changed his mind as they became older. He said that he preferred the firing squad because of his Mormon heritage. Ronnie Lee also felt that lawmakers were trying to eliminate the firing squad uh, in opposition to popular opinion in Utah, because of their concerns over the state's image in the upcoming 2002
1: Winter Olympics.
0: In 1998, you know, you know, you know who
1: uh, led that whole thing was Mitt Romney.
0: Are you being serious?
1: Yeah, I know Mitt was the head of the Olympic Committee for Utah. For
0: that. Oh, 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 okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. In 1998, the old Metropolitan Hall of Justice was vacated, and it was replaced by a brand new multi-million dollar courthouse called the Scott M. Matheson Courthouse. Ronnie Lee's deadly, deadly attempt in '95 was blamed on the open access and light security that the previously previous building had, and it influenced the tighter security measures that were adopted by the new courthouse. Former prosecutor Kent Morgan stated, obviously absolutely garner changed that on march 3rd of 2001 the old courthouse the metropolitan hall of justice was demolished in 2007 u.s federal judge tina campbell rejected ronnie lee's appeal that his attorneys were uh he said his attorneys were inadequate because they were unable to prove that he didn't mean to kill his victim the united states courts of appeal for the 10th circuit rejected motions for appeal by his defense on march 8th of 2010 ronnie lee attempted to give up the process three times but his attorneys convinced him each time to continue the appeal state court judge robin
1: somebody wanted to get paid.
0: yeah state court judge robin reese signed an execution warrant on april 23rd ordering the state to carry out the death sentence at ronnie lee's uh commutation hearing on june 10th of 2010 Attorneys and medical experts in his defense argued that meningitis that he had contracted at the age of four had committed some severe damage to his brain. Ronnie Lee had also huffed gas and glue with his siblings when he was younger and played with mercury that was stolen from gas meters by his stepfather to sell. So they're saying that all of this contributed to Ronnie Lee's craziness. Three of the jurors that sentenced Ronnie Lee to death signed an affidavit that they would recommend life without parole as an option uh, life without parole an option that was not available in utah until 1992 Mm ronnie lee claimed that he was a changed man and he was counseling other inmates and was interested in starting an organic farm project for youth on 160 acres in box elder county in utah his his attorney his attorney actually presented a letter that Ronnie Lee wrote to Oprah. Yes, that Oprah requesting funds for the project.
1: I don't feel like there's another Oprah. It's not like an Oprah sitting in like Utah who's like, oh, is it me? Oh, it's not. My bad.
0: <laughs> so Ronnie Lee. One,
1: one day it might be me though. It's not
0: Ronnie Lee argued that it wasn't justifiable to execute him anymore because so much time had passed since the crime. He's like, look, I mean, all this time's passed. You know, I can do, he says, I can do a lot of good. First of all, I'm a good example. There's no better example in the in this state of what not to do. Assistant State Attorney General Tom Brunker
1: <laughs>
2: I argued- I mean, it's
1: nice. It's impressive that he his literal, like, excuse was like, I can be a visual example of what not to do as long as I'm alive.
0: Right, you can still be that dude. Um, <clears throat> Assistant State Attorney General Tom Brunker argued against clemency, Clemency, he said, quote, Mr. Gardner was sentenced to death and earned that death penalty because of his unflagging history of violent crime. The family of George Nick Kirk recounted how um, his being shot, how Nick's being shot had affected their lives and ultimately shortened that of uh, George Kirk's life. George's daughter, Barb, said he's done a lot of horrific things in his past, and I think given the chance, he would do them all again. Jason Mm -hmm. Otterstrom, who was the son of Melvin, who was murdered by, you know, in the bar, he was the bartender that was murdered by um, Ronnie Lee. His son struggled to describe the impact that it had on the family. So of course, the Utah Parole Board of Pardons and Parole hears both of these children and hears their testimony and they decline Ronnie Lee's commutation request, stating that the jury's verdict and the sentence um, were not inappropriate. So it was perfect what they said. The board members mm-hmm. cited his violent record during incarceration, because remember he broke glass and had sex with a woman while the other inmates boarded the door. And yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, just because you're alleged in jail doesn't mean it's not illegal.
0: And And he stabbed another inmate nine times with a shiv. So the uh, parole board cited his um, violent record during incarceration and questioned, is he really trying to reform? Is it a little too little too late? Ronnie Lee revealed at the hearing that it was Darcy Perry McCoy who had actually given him the gun in the courthouse that he had used Mm. to murder Michael Burdell. Deputy uh, Deputy Salt Lake County Attorney Bob Stott said that Darcy would not be prosecuted because Ronnie Lee, the only witness, was going to be executed. So it was basically he said, he said. How could they prove it?
1: Yeah. And also, like, one guy's named Darcy. I don't think he's evil.
0: (laughs) So Tammy Stewart, she's the daughter of George Kirk, a.k.a. Nick. She said, I really feel sorry for him. I do feel sorry, but he made that choice. Mm -hmm. The Utah Supreme Court upheld the lower court's ruling on June 14th of 2010, which means that Ronnie Lee had exhausted all his appeal possibilities within the state. The U.S. Supreme Court turned down final appeals on June 17th of 2010 through a court order indicating that dissenting justices Stephen Breyer and John Paul Stevens would have granted a stay of execution, but it wasn't they weren't you know they got to have the whatever majority votes and they didn't yeah it's
1: got to be it's got to be five four and, and yeah. they were like two seven so like so sometimes sorry. i would also i would also date me, but if i'm the only vote for that it's not gonna work
0: yeah utah governor uh, gary herbert also declined to intervene he said because ronnie lee had a full and fair opportunity in court state attorney mark shirtleff announced on twitter that he had signed off on the execution he said quote i just gave the go-ahead to corrections director to proceed with ronnie well with gardner's execution that was what he stated in his twitter like
1: Opponent. what hashtags he like, like <laughs> hashtag sorry not sorry <laughs> hashtag justice hashtag i'ma do what i do
0: <laughs> gotta do me um, opponents of capital punishment gathered at the Utah state Capitol to hold a rally during the final appeals process the protest was actually attended by Ronnie Lee's family and was organized by Utahans I didn't even know that was what you called them Utahans for alternates to the death penalty I thought they were called Utes um maybe for short I
1: was like is it Utah University of Utah Utes
0: that's probably just for short I don't
1: know I'm gonna call Utes.
0: okay The protest actually included the support of Brian King of the Utah House of Representatives, who had pledged to urge the legislature to reconsider the use of capital punishment. The family of Michael Burdell, murder victim of Ronnie Lee, had also appealed on Ronnie Lee's behalf, stating that Michael was a pacifist who would have opposed the death penalty. So news from around the world, of course, came and they were they were everybody was interested and they raised the issue of blood atonement because Ronnie Lee's citation of his mormon roots in selecting the firing squad Some followers
1: That that's a religious rule not a not a government rule.
0: Yes. Some followers of mormonism were taught that murder is so heinous that the blood of the offender must be spilled to pay for their sins. Hence why he picked the firing squad.
1: Like many he, things that Joseph Smith did, he just rewrote a little, little bit of eye
0: Yeah. The day before Ronnie Lee's execution, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints condemned the idea of blood atonement as a way to salvation. And they released That's a right. statement saying so. It says, in the mid-19th century, when rhetorical emotional oratory was common, some church members and leaders used strong language that included notions of people making restitution for their sins by giving up their own lives. However, so-called blunt atonement by which individuals would be required to shed their blood, their own blood to pay for their sins is not a doctrine of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We believe in, we believe in and teach the infinite and all encompassing atonement of Jesus Christ, which makes forgiveness of sins and salvation possible for all people.
1: So he he was trying to use dogma to like get himself out.
0: Uh well, to so use the firing squad as his Yeah, use name. the fire
1: like to try to like enact this old like kind of old testament thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints weren't the only ones to voice their um um their opinion. Other denominations actually voiced their opposition to the use of capital punishment. David Henry, who was a Baptist minister in Salt Lake City, said, um, violence breeds violence, it doesn't work, it's ineffective, and it's brutalizing all of us. Keith O'Brien, who was a Catholic cardinal for the Roman church in Scotland, later used Ronnie Lee's case to describe the culture of vengeance in the United States. Wow. According- this
1: guy from Scotland, just like parachuting in with an idea.
0: Yeah. It looks like the support for capital punishment in the U.S. has actually declined since the 90s, but the majority of people in Utah still support the death penalty, or they did in the time period leading up to Ronnie, Gardner's, Ronnie Lee Gardner's scheduled execution. In 2010,
1: they also haven't figured out that they shouldn't have a basketball team named the Jazz. In 2010,
0: uh, Kay McKiff of the Utah House of Reps sponsored a legislation to require condemned inmates to raise all appeal arguments in their first post-conviction petition, noting that Ronnie Lee's multiple appeals kept his case lingering on death row for nearly 25 years. Yeah, the he
1: bill. just kept coming up with a new excuse. Yeah, you
0: know. The bill, which was called HB 202, passed the Utah House by a margin of 67 to 5 on February 1st of 2011 and unanimously passed the Utah State Senate on February 17th the legislation was signed into law by the governor on march 22nd of 2011 the law denies any stay of execution after a first appeal without a judicial review of new evidence that a judge determines would have materially affected the original case so yeah so like new dna or something
1: that changes the whole thing
0: so basically stop lingering around
1: stop wasting our time
0: the Utah Department of Corrections provided Ronnie Lee's attorney, Andrew Parnes, with documentation about executions by firing squads and lethal injections. The records included the Utah execution team's training and expertise. Leading back to what I said, they're very probably very trained and not gonna miss. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Parnes relays the information to Ronnie Lee after agreeing not to disclose it with anyone else. On June 15th of 2010, ronnie lee ate a last meal steak lobster tail apple pie vanilla ice cream and 70 uh, and seven up and then began a 48 hour fast while watching the lord of the rings film trilogy and reading divine justice
1: yeah you think it was extended edition? <laughs> i don't
0: know i mean
1: he's got time
0: according to his attorney his attorneys, uh, the fast was motivated by spiritual reasons. Ronnie Lee was visited by an LDS Bishop and his family before his execution. Ronnie Lee walked voluntarily to his place of execution and when asked if he had any last words, he said, I do not know. He was executed on June 18th of 2010 at 1215 AM mountain time by a firing squad at Utah State P- uh, Prison in Draper. He was placed in restraints on a black metal chair with a black hood covering his head sandbags were arranged around him to absorb the ricochets the firing squad was made up of five anonymous volunteers who were certified police officers the officer stood about 25 feet away from ronnie lee aiming at a white target positioned over his heart one of their 30 caliber winchester rifles was selected at random and loaded with a non-lethal wax bullet so they would not know with certainty who fired the fatal shots according to the utah which i heard is pretty common because
1: yeah i mean i, I just, you don't want to like you don't want it would be concerning if there was the one dude who was like i want to be the one that kills it it's like nobody wants to sit next to the guy clutch so
0: um according to the utah department of corrections the squad used a countdown cadence beginning with five and simultaneously firing right before two. Ronnie Lee's oh. jumpsuit was made was dark blue, and it made it difficult to see any blood on his wounds. A medical examiner removed his hood to reveal that he was, in fact, deceased. After verifying a lack of pulse in his neck, the medical examiner pronounced him dead at 12.15 a.m., he was the first person to be executed by firing squad in the United States since the execution of John Albert Taylor 14 years earlier. Remember, so o- only three people. Um, yeah. There was actually a commemorative coin that was commissioned for the prison staff who participated in the execution.
2: That's messed up.
0: Ronnie Lee's friends and family gathered outside of the prison at a candlelight vigil while playing Freebird by Leonard Skinnerd. They did not witness his execution, and that was at his request. Some of them did wear shirts with his prisoner number 14873. His body was cremated and released to his daughter and taken back to Idaho with family members. Ronnie Lee's brother, Randy, has become a very outspoken opponent of the death penalty, often wearing Ronnie Lee's prison jumpsuit to anti-death penalty demonstrations. And there you go. That is the story of Ronnie Lee Gardner and the B-Side. So, so they
1: sang "Free
0: They played it, yeah.
1: Like I'm, I'm looking up the the details right now. But that this feels like one of those classic moments where, like, people are like, "This song would be appropriate." And they're like, maybe they don't really know what the song is about. The lyrics tell the story of a man leaving a woman because he cannot bring himself to settle down with her. He expresses he does not want to hurt her. There are too many things he wants to do before committing to a
2: relationship.
1: <laughs> is this really? Is this really the song that you think? Like, I don't know, like Amazing Grace? Right. Twinkle of Sweet like, A <laughs> <Right. laughs> little more appropriate.
2: Oh my. Uh,
1: God forbid. But if anybody sings a song at Life Eagle that does not fit, I will come back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. Like <laughs> I don't I don't want
1: anybody, being out, I don't want anybody being out there being like, you know, oh, bring it sexy back. No, he's dead. <laughs> you think sexy back in my feet, girl, I'm coming back.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, then I guess that would be right, huh? Because
1: you guess, came back. I, yeah, I did. Just be like, I'm not sexy. I'm leaving.
0: I'm <laughs> and coming. then I'm out again. Peace.
1: I'm dead. <laughs> I'm back. I'm out again.
2: Oh, my gosh. But there you I go. I didn't realize that we didn't,
1: we didn't, like, just line people up at cheer them anymore because we just do those in schools now. Oh. Oof dang
2: yeah All sorry right. i, went there. Was, I see was,
1: what you did
0: you went there like
1: yeah we were like oh this isn't humane so we won't do it to multiple killers but we'll just let it happen in schools and churches instead in schools so, across I mean, the country yeah it's a, it's a bold choice for america we were like don't shoot criminals
0: but kids you know whatever they can't fight back
1: yeah i've alienated at least some people i know let's, uh, let's go on to the last part where we go to the website <laughs> beside bsides <laughs> square.site uh you can uh let us know what Ooh. you think about our podcast on there hopefully it's good uh you can like share uh please follow us in all the various formats we're on spotify apple music uh stitcher itunes probably some other stuff uh I'm a little thrown off by offending everyone, uh, which is not <laughs> new for me. I should I should be used to this by now. Also, if you, if you want uh, if you want to buy any merchandise, uh, before just remember I made it, out. not
0: Adam. So don't you know not buy it because yeah he don't don't it.
1: yeah yeah. Just I was the one who came with the shower curtain, so nobody <laughs> buy the shower curtain because evidently, weirdly <laughs> enough, there's not a high demand for a shower curtain with blood spatter on it. I thought we had a lot more psycho <laughs> fans in the audience, but
2: evidently not. Uh, but check
1: out check out our merch uh buy Brooklyn coffee uh because it's offensive as i've been i would be way more offensive if she didn't edit out half the stuff i said so just you know (laughs) it could be way worse Uh, so buy her a coffee at buyscoffee.com um yeah i don't get anything else
0: no you got it all you covered it all right thanks adam
1: uh and also just all my uh my personal um social media are on our website so
2: come at me there All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Brooke.